Welcome to Season 6 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. During Season 6, you'll hear the likes of Pat Fitzgerald, Ron Rivera, Lisa Byington, Porter Moser, and many, many more. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of the world-famous Chicago hot dog and a landmark institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. This family-owned business can be found at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. This week, we feature the TV voice of the Milwaukee Bucks, the Chicago Sky, and so much more, Lisa Byington. Is a role model a fair description? Sure, I hope I am. But I hope I'm a role model to both boys and girls. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm quick to correct people when they say, you know, my, my, my daughter looks up to you. And I appreciate that. But I also say I hope your son does as well. Not so long ago, Lisa Byington was a two-sports star at Northwestern, where she began a broadcast career that would flourish, culminating for now in becoming the first woman to be named play-by-play -play announcer for an NBA team. She's become one of the most versatile broadcasters in the business. While Byington is the voice of the Bucks, she continues her role as the voice of the WNBA Sky, college basketball and football, and for the first time, the NCAA tournament. And did you know there's even an award named after her? So, Lisa Byington, tell me a story I don't know. <laughs> George, first of all, it's, it's, it's a great honor to be on. I, I, I admire all the guests that you've had on in the past and um, have loved listening to your podcast. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on. You know, you, you mentioned a little bit about my background and, um, you know, sports have played such a major part in, in who I am, George. And, and I like to tell this story about how powerful words can be. And, and I'll, and I'll, tell you two contrasting stories, one that brought me down and one that boosted me up. And um, both, from, both from sports coaches. One was a basketball coach and one was a soccer coach. And so uh, a, a basketball coach, uh, you know, I was sitting on the bench and um, wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time as of late. Um, the, the starting point guard who I was playing behind had fouled out of the game. So my coach was, was forced to put me in. And uh, the game ended up going into overtime. I actually ended up making a couple of key free throws to help us win the game and was feeling really good about myself. And my basketball coach came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, Lisa, of all the people who I thought would make those free throws on our team, it wouldn't have been you. <laughs> and so you can imagine how that made me feel, right? Um, I, was, I was sky high. And then those words, because words can be powerful in, in both directions, those words brought me down. And, and, and then I always like to contrast it to this story. Um, a soccer coach came up to me and said, uh, Lisa B, we're, I was a walk-on. I, I will say it was a college, it was a college, my college coach, Marsha McDermott, I will tell her name. And, and she came up to me at practice. We were going to play Ohio State the next day. And in, in our training session, she said, Lisa B, I want to use you. And I want to, I, I think Ohio State's defense is, is vulnerable. So I want to use your speed. And when I put you in the game, now remember, I'm just a walk-on because I got a scholarship for basketball at Northwestern, but I was just a walk-on for soccer. So she's talking to the walk-on and she said, I want you to go at their defense with your heart and with your hunger. And I'm sitting there on, you know, at practice, this training session, and, I, and I'm nodding my head. Okay, okay, yep, got it. Heart and hunger, heart and hunger. Once you know it, it's a zero-zero match. In the first half, uh, she calls me Lisa B. And she says, Lisa B, get set to go in. And, and so I, you know, I, I, I trot on over. I'm inserted into the match. Um, just a few minutes in, my teammate goes down the right flank. I'm going down the left flank. I was a, I was a striker. And so uh, I see the ball. It's being crossed into the area. And, and it was like a movie, George. It was like a slow motion ball in the air and I'm seeing it. And all I could hear at that time was my, my soccer coach's voice, Marsha McDermott's voice saying, 
Lisa B, go at them with your heart and your hunger, heart and your hunger, heart and your hunger. And so I'm, I'm thinking heart and hunger. And so I went up, connected with the ball with my head. It went in the goal, first goal of the game. Everyone went nuts because the walk-on just scored. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm fist pumping my way back to midfield and everyone's going crazy. And wouldn't you know it, that that goal opened up the floodgates and we ended up winning seven, nothing that game. And it had just turned the tide of the game and the, and the whole feel of the game. And, and why did it do that? Because the power of words, George, you know, one brought me down, a basketball coach's words brought me down. And then a soccer coach's words lifted me up and, and made the walk on believe that they could be bigger than sometimes what they thought they could believe. And I like to share those two contrasting stories sometimes with people to remind them that the power of words do both. You know, they discourage and they encourage, and it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, so, be, so be cognizant and, and careful with the words that you choose in interacting with people. It's how you treat people. It is. I try to treat people the right way. And, and I think everybody, you know, they listen to this and they think, well, everybody tries to do that. Right. But I, I think it even goes to the next level as a broadcaster. You know, the, the important people to me aren't just the on air people. It's not just the analyst who I'm sitting next to. It's not just the sideline reporter, producer, director. You know what? Sometimes it's that utility person that's carrying the cord. Um, sometimes it's the graphics person. Sometimes it's the replay person. Sometimes it's the camera people. And, and I think going to the next extent, and, and I find myself on game days, not every game day, um, but enough where I try to go into the truck and say hello to some of the behind the scenes people, the production people, the people who, in my opinion, mean the most. And I, and I try to know them by name, um, the camera people by name. You know, when I work in Milwaukee Bucks home game, I want to know who I'm working with. And that's not just the people in front of the camera, but it's people behind the camera as well. That's such an important thing to me because I have worked with some very well-known people, two of whom Marv Albert and Bob Costas, and I go way back, think about how many people they deal with, okay? Thousands. And they come to town and immediately, hi, George. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you see me every several years. How do you remember my name over thousands? That's a skill. I got news for you. It's a real skill to remember all those names. It's as important sometimes as remembering the athletes and the coaches who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we all have a job to do. You know, when I was, when I was younger, um, I found myself in the, the Lansing, Michigan TV market. So I covered Michigan state on basically a daily basis. So I, I, I got to watch, you know, Tom Izzo do a lot of different things for almost a decade. I was there and he always said something that resonated with me that his mentor, you know, the, the great late Judd Heathcote. Yes always told Tom Izzo, and this is the reason why Tom Izzo is that way, that he, he treats people uh, with all respect from the maintenance people to a Hall of Fame head coach that he's, you know, working with or, or sees at a Final Four, treats everyone the same. And, and he does that because Judd Heathcote told him, we all have a job to do, you know, so, and, and what that means is, is you respect the people who are doing their job and, and you respect the job that they're trying to do. And, and if you don't treat people with respect, then that means you're not respecting that person. You're not respecting the job that they're doing. I recently uh, listened to an interview you did on the Milwaukee radio station, WTMJ. And it was a wonderful interview when you declined to call yourself a trailblazer, but you've had a number of firsts in your career. So if you're not a trailblazer, how would you describe yourself? A broadcaster. And I say that, you know, I understand that, I am a trailblazer. When I, when I say I don't describe myself as that, that's, that's not denying the fact that I, I do understand that what I'm doing is, is helping open doors for other women who are coming uh, after myself. But I just don't look at myself that way. And, and George, if I did, I don't feel like I'd be able to do my job. I don't even look at myself as a female broadcaster. I just, quite frankly, I'm pretty boring. I look at myself as a broadcaster. Uh, I've told people that the most normal I feel in taking this Milwaukee Bucks job is on game day when I sit down, uh, usually next to Marcus Johnson, our analyst, and I put on the headset and I get to talk about the world champs. 
and I get to talk about basketball and I don't have to answer any questions about being a female broadcaster or being a trailblazer. Um, and, and that's the most normal it feels because I, I don't wake up every day thinking, oh, I'm, I, you know, what, what new doors can I open today? It's what do I have to do to get done to do the best job that I can do today? You can't look at yourself as that. You know, all the, all the wonderful people who have been first in, in whatever um, non-traditional hires in the past, they've never looked at themselves like that. They're constantly reminded <laughs> that people look at them in that way. But I, I would be surprised if, if anyone who has been fortunate enough to have given a door to be open to that, that not few, if any, have walked through, um, I'd be very surprised if they looked at themselves that way. Is a role model a fair description? Sure, I hope I am. But I hope I'm a role model to both boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm quick to correct people when they say, you know, my, my, my daughter looks up to you. And I appreciate that. But I also say, I hope your son does as well. Um, George, I'll tell you one of the, the coolest messages I got last year when I did the NCAA tournament for the first time as a play-by-play. And the ball is tipped between Hartford and Baylor. The tip going to the Hawks. Here's Mitchell looking to take on. And the kick out here to Butler for his first look. The best three-point shooting team in the country starts out hot. Baylor advancing 79-55. to The final over the 16-seed Hartford Hawks. I got a message from a friend who was overseeing the, the Indiana College uh, state broadcast awards so that it was awards that were handed out to all the college students um, throughout the state of Indiana. And he said, I just want you to see this little video piece. And it was of a male college student who was at Ball State at the time. And uh, they had to ask, they were asking all these college students, who do you look up to? Who's your role model? Who's, you know, who's this, who's that? And, and he said, I loved watching Lisa Byington on the NCAA tournament this year. And I'm sure there's other uh, males across the country and and little boys who who have felt the same way, but that was the first time I heard it come across from a male college student's mouth. You know, Gosh, that that has to make you feel great. And and it yeah, it did. And 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 it took me back because I thought, you know, that's that's what we're trying to get at. You know, um, one of my favorite sayings, George, and and I'm sure you've heard me talk about it in some of my other interviews, is just I want female voices to become broadcast or to become background noise. So if if a female announcer is on a men's game, eventually I want it to be background noise. I don't want it. I don't want people to have it on and then they hear this female announcer on a football game or a men's basketball game or a baseball game or a men's soccer game and they stop to try to figure out who the female announcer is because we never do that with male announcers. We always have, uh, a lot of times we have games on just some background noise, right? Uh, as we're doing something else. But we always stop when we hear a female in a non-traditional role trying to figure out who it is. And so to have... Yeah, to have boys, to have men support you, gender allies is as important to the story as having females support you as well. It's interesting that you say that because I've always said that the best play-by-play people enhance the broadcast and that it's not always the background sound that you get because there are specific broadcasters who really help make a game. Even if it's a bad game, I think Kevin Harlan helps make a game. So I'm thinking to myself, do you really want to be that background sound or do you want to be that person known as someone who enhances a broadcast? Isn't it one of the same? That's the way I'm kind of defining it. Like you, I think a good play-by-play and and maybe we're saying the same thing, but in different ways, George, but I think a good play-by-play is part of the moment but isn't the moment, mm-hmm. you know, the moment is the action that you're seeing. Sure. And, and if you can be part of that and, and in your words, enhance that, then I think you're, you're doing your job. And so do you make that uh, a time where you let that be background noise and you let that just kind of be a part of your life? Or do you sit down on the couch, try to figure out who the announcer is and try to figure out how, how much that announcer knows of the game, the sports knowledge, do they, do they know it first? Okay. Check. It, it sounds like she might know it. 
then do you like her voice? Okay, yeah, okay, maybe check. Um, and then do you like the call? You know, like there are way more boxes to check for female announcers right now than there are for male announcers. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog. Dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. As I mentioned earlier, Lisa is not only the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks, but she's also the voice of the 2001 WNBA champs, the Chicago Sky. Final game for both of these teams before the Olympic break is here, and what a way to go out. Sloot finding step, throws it for the lead. Chicago on top, 82 to 80. You're clearly not the first woman to make a breakthrough in this business, but getting the Bucks TV job and replacing the retiring Jim Paschke, who, by the way, I first got to know when I was covering the Brewers and the Bucks back in the early 80s, had to be for you a monumental achievement. I never looked at it as replacing Jim Paschke. Um, I, I saw the other day a great quote by one of my friends, uh, Joe Davis, who, you know, was recently hired by Fox to do the World Series. And, and I'm so happy for him. Um, but but a few years ago, he had to replace a legendary voice in Vince Scully because he was doing Dodgers baseball games. And, and I just saw recently uh, an answer that he had that I felt like applied to me. And he said, I never looked at it as replacing Vince Scully. I always looked at it as following him. And I think that's a great way to put it. I, I never looked at it as I got to be like Jim. I got to do this like Jim. Um, I'm following Jim, you know, and and I have my own style. I have my own way of doing things. And I know that for some, there it's been an adjustment. And for others, um, I think they've liked, you know, some of the different changes and stuff. So when you were applying for the job, did you say to yourself, I'm a long shot or no, I'm qualified. I deserve the job. I think the second part, you know, I wouldn't have applied for it if I didn't think I was qualified. Um, basketball, I think, is is the easiest sport for me to call. Uh, I've, I've played that sport in college. Um, I've, I've had the most experience with it, I think, even just as announcing. Um, I, I filled in for some Chicago Bulls games for Neil Funk when mm. he, was, he was allowing some replacement play-by-plays. I worked alongside Stacey King, um, so I've had some NBA experience. Um, some people who are applying for some of those open jobs didn't even have NBA experience. Um, I've worked summer league for Turner Sports. I did, you know, so I never, I never felt like I wasn't qualified uh, for the job. Um, it just was a matter of, of the direction that the Bucs wanted to go. So here's how far back I go. When I was covering the Bucks, your TV partner, Marcus Johnson, was its biggest star. You're working with a legend. Giannis certainly has not gone 0 for 7 here in this first half. Giannis's mojo is alive and well. <laughs> and what did you expect from the best player in the world? MVP, I don't care about. He's the best <laughs> player in the game of basketball right Bobby, now. your bifocals are over here. Marcus has them. Yo, Bobby. Oh, boy. He's, he's so great. Uh, I, he has honestly, there have been so many things that I have enjoyed about this job this year and working with Marcus is, is really at the top of the list. He is so talented, if not one of the best. And I could say this, I worked with a lot of different analysts, but I would consider him one of the best, if not the best analysts that I've worked with in any sport. 
And, and this is why he, um, he just sees the game in a, in a unique way. And I consider, I don't consider myself a, a basketball know-it-all, but you know, I played at the college level and, and I've watched it enough that I understand when analysts are pointing out the obvious and Marcus is never obvious with his X's and O's analysis. So he's unique in that way. And then he's hilarious. I mean, he's Hollywood, you know? I mean, how many analysts <laughs> can you talk to that's, that, that is one of the best to play the game, you know, when he was healthy? He's, he's a five-time All-Star, right? Mm-hmm. And if his career was extended and not shortened because of injury, um, I think he'd already be in the Hall of Fame. And, and maybe you can, make an, you can make an argument that he should be. Um, so you've got that basketball talent to marry with uh, his Hollywood uh, movies, right? And, and how many people get to work with someone like that who, who touches both of those worlds? Uh, it's, it's been great. And it, it honestly, working with him is an honor. And it's been uh, one of my most favorite things of taking the job. Well, you just mentioned someone else when you were doing some fill-in here, and that is the unmistakable Stacy King. Yeah. <laughs> and, and talk about a guy full of entertainment. Uh, I mean, he's got a hot sauce uh, compliment after one of his catchphrases. Like you talk about unique. Uh, he is it. And, you know, I, I always uh, feel gratitude towards Stacy and the Chicago Bulls. Uh, they didn't have to say yes and giving me an opportunity to work with Stacy during that time when they were kind of going through a, a pool of play-by-plays. And that first year, I think if you ask Stacy, I think he went through like almost 20 different play-by-plays that year. Uh, the first year where they tried it out, where it was kind of a merry-go-round of, of fill-in play-by-plays on the road. Oh, yeah. And then he pared it down, you know, to I think three or four the next year. And I was one of the three or four and, and I'm forever grateful, um, you know, cause Stacy made those picks, you know, and, and so I'm forever grateful that, that I was one of those three or four that got an opportunity to do that. And it, it really was my, my first taste at, um, I had done so much college play-by-play, but that was really kind of my first taste of, of major NBA play-by-play. So you're the first woman to call a men's NCAA tournament game, but there is a backstory to this and it dates back to 2007. So tell me a story. I don't know what you did. <laughs> yeah, I um, had a dream of, of working the NCAA tournament, but at the time, George, it was only as a sideline reporter. Uh, I, I had not really been a, a play-by-play at that point, but um, the NCAA tournament is, uh, is when I was a little kid, my Super Bowl, because that's what I grew up watching. And so I thought, you know what, as a broadcaster, I want to work the tournament. And so in 2007, I was working in local news. I was in Lansing, Michigan at the time and decided to just go down. I knew enough people that they could maybe introduce me to introduce me to introduce me to the right, to the right, to the right person, right? Okay. To, to get yourself in front of that CBS executive. And that was my sole goal was to go down there, not to go to the games, not to, I just wanted to introduce myself to someone who could possibly make that dream possible. And so I hopped in my car by myself I think it's maybe it was in Atlanta. So I, I think it was maybe an 11 hour drive, if I'm remembering that right, and went all the way through, um, you know, stopped a couple of times, but never really stayed overnight by myself, um, had booked a hotel just outside Atlanta because staying close to the arena was uh, way too much for me to afford at the time with a local news budget. And uh, finally, you know, met the person who got me to the person, to the person, to the person, and, and got me in front of Mike Oresco, actually, who was one of the ones who was in charge of CBS at the time before he went into conference, being a conference commissioner. Um, I introduced myself, had like little business cards made. Uh, and he's, I know he's sitting there thinking, who is this random local sports person who is talking to me? And, and, you know, those, those CBS, let's be honest, they get that all the time. What's your goal? I want to work the NCAA tournament, you know? And it's like, okay, who are you and how you think you're going to get there? And, um, I guess I had made enough of an impression that, um, many months later, George, I got a phone call and it was from New York and, and me just, you know thinking, oh, this is my NCAA tournament call. (laughs) (laughs) And it actually, so it was from CBS. Um, It was from a guy named Ross Malloy, who's still there. And and he said, you know, Lisa, I'd like to offer you a sideline job on our division two 
football package that we air on CBS Sports Network on Thursday nights. And you'd be doing, you know, like what, you know, six or seven games. And at first, it, you know, it wasn't, I'm like, okay, this, like, is there anything else coming after this? Is there? <laughs> and, um, and so at the time, I never said no to, to anything, really, because um, at the time, anything was an opportunity. And you never know what opportunity would open up a door to something else. So, of course, I said yes. And, and of course, it was one of the most challenging jobs because it is hard getting information on uh, Division II schools, let alone, uh, you know, football teams have tons of players. So that was a challenging job, but we did it every Thursday night on CBS Sports Network. And um, I'm not sure how many people watched other than the families of the, <laughs> the players, you know, because we're up against the NFL game, you know, that Thursday night. Um, but you know what it did? It opened up the door and, and I did a good enough job that you know, CBS kept me on their radar. And every year, every year, George, I wrote an email to CBS and to Turner Sports when they came uh, into the marriage of, of covering the NCAA tournament together. You know, I would love to be a sideline reporter for the NCAA tournament. And year after year, George, I got a, we've got you on our list. So it never was a no, it was kind of a not now. And so that was in the year when I went to Atlanta, that was in the year of 2007. Um, 2017. So literally 10 years later, I get an email and I almost deleted it because I thought it was spam for my cable package at the time. Cause on the subject heading, it said something like, uh, NCAA tournament, uh, package, you know, whatever the way it was phrased, it seemed like sure. uh, Comcast at the time, that was my cable. I thought they were like selling me some sort of like specific NCAA tournament cable package. And, uh, and I almost deleted it. And I thought, you know what, let me click on this. And it was the email that I had always been waiting for. And it was the email that I was searching for in 2007. And it was the email that said, we would love you to be one of our sideline reporters this year for the NCAA tournament, which you'd be wow. interested. And uh, I, I, I love that story, George, for this, because I, I think a lot of great things have happened to me, especially in the most recent past. Um, and I think that's what people see sometimes who don't know my story. They see, oh, Lisa Byington's done this, 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 and this, and she's in the headline here and she's got this job. Um, people don't realize the work that it takes to get to that job. And, and if you pursue it, if you work hard, if you, if you handle people the right way, I like to say sometimes that dream happens, but sometimes it doesn't happen tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now or even a year from now. For me, George, it happened 10 years later. And, and I think that's important for your listeners to hear. Um, a, a dream took 10 years in the making to have it happen, uh, but I never gave up on it. You know, that reminds me of an interview I did recently with Wayne Randazzo, of course, is the voice of the New York Mets. He did basically the same thing as I think a lot of people have done in, in the game of baseball. He went to the winter meetings and they have another part of the winter meetings where people are looking for jobs. And he told me the story of, well, he was one of hundreds, only instead of just sitting there, he started introducing himself. He went into the back rooms and started in introducing himself to teams. And I thought to myself, as I hear your story and his, it's very simply a case of, I really want this. I want this bad enough, and I'm going to do what I can to get it. And you did. Yeah, you just have to put yourself out there and, and you can't put yourself out there without putting the work behind it. So that's very, very important. But you can't care how many hours you put in. You can't care what your paycheck looks like. And if you're if you know you're doing the right thing, you know, you're doing the right thing by ignoring those two things, quite honestly. And so um, you can't just say, hey, I want this, you know, flashy, shiny job because it's cool. Uh, you have to do all the right things to be able to get there. The grunt to the glory job is what I like to call it, George. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. We resume with Lisa Byington on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Last year, I interviewed for this podcast a woman I got to know professionally and really admired while she was in Chicago. You know her well, Sarah Kustak. She was the first female analyst for an NBA team, the Brooklyn Nets, and she's great. She's just a wonderful human being. And I also interviewed Laura Oakman, and I really got this sense women have come a long way and have gone further and further and further. Oakman says the next step is management. That said, I have to believe it was still tough being a woman trying to navigate a career in this business. And somewhere, the word chauvinism has to have crept in. Every day. <laughs> Every day. And, and sometimes, sometimes people show it without, they mean well, but they show it without meaning to show it. And I'll give you an example of that. So um, we went down, the Bucks were playing the Heat in Miami. And um, there was a, a technician, an audio technician who came up to me. He introduced himself and he said, I have uh, all your sideline reporter stuff set up over on, on this part of the baseline. And I, I had to put my hand up to stop him. And I said, you know, I know I'm, you know, I, I was thinking to myself internally, I know I'm blonde. I know I'm female. We see a lot of blonde females on the sideline. Right. Um, but I had to put my hand up and I had to stop him kind of mid sentence. And I said, you know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm not the sideline reporter. I'm the play by play. Oh, and he stopped in his tracks and a look of horror came across his face. <laughs> and I realized at the time, based on his reaction, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. But what was his normal? Well, well, his normal was anytime you saw a female on a, a, a TV crew, that female was always the sideline reporter. You were a stereotype. That, yeah. And, and whether he knew it or not, that's just what, what his normal was, you know? So there are times where, uh, like, that's an example of what I'm saying is, is people sometimes are chauvinistic, but they don't really mean to be, or they don't try to be, um, you know, there's, there's other examples of, and, and I think it's important for your listeners to hear this one. Cause I hear it a lot is, you know, people will come up and they'll compliment me and they'll say, I've, I've really enjoyed your broadcast this year. I mean, you really sound like, you know, what you're talking about and, and I, and, you know, and I'll smile and I'll say, thank you. But to me, that's not always a 100% compliment because right. if I'm a male announcer, is that going to be the first thing that you're going to try to figure out about this new announcer? Do they know what they're talking about? Um, it, it usually, usually with male announcers, George, uh, listeners skip over that part and they just go to style, voice, personality. Um, but I, I've noticed with a lot of female announcers, it always starts there. So who are your role models when it comes to this business? Who are your best guides? I hate this question, George. And only because of this. I'm always going to forget someone if I, if I single people out by names. So I'll do this. I'll, I'll start with my parents, my mom and my dad, who obviously aren't broadcasters. They're teachers. 
Um, but they perhaps taught me the most important lesson that has got me to this point, and that is chase whatever you want to chase, dream whatever you want to dream, and don't ever let it be gender specific. So because of that, I was always the only girl out at recess playing soccer with all the other boys. And I thought, I didn't think twice about being the only girl. And when they found out, they said, if that's what you want to do at recess, then keep doing it at recess. Um, so those are probably, that is probably the most important lesson that they ever taught me. Uh, broadcasters, um, it's, it's people who have, have taken the time, not just broadcasters, George, but even producers, some people behind the scenes, the people who give you good, honest feedback instead of a, a pat on the back, a good job, or you're doing great. You don't grow with those kind of people. You grow with the people who say, you know what I didn't like about this call was this, mm -hmm. this, and this. You know, and so if, if you find people who are honest with you on that, like you grab hold of them and you never let them go <laughs> uh, because it's, it's a weird thing about the business, George, is it's hard to find people to be honest with you. And as a former athlete, I'm used to being coached. I'm used to being critiqued and that's, that's hard to find. It's a, it's a very small group. You just talked about your parents. You grew up in Michigan. You are a Midwest woman. You have worked in Chicago. You have worked in Milwaukee. You have worked in Michigan. Tell me a little bit about the bigger cities. Tell me a little bit about being here in Chicago. Tell me a little bit about being in Milwaukee. First of all, the Milwaukee and Chicago, I, I love that they're so close to the water. That has nothing to do with sports, but <laughs> I, love, I love the water. And it's something about it. Um, those two cities, man, they are tough to top in the summer. You know, they're very similar in that way and uh the festivals and um everything that they put on it's it's if if you're looking for a a great time especially in the summer uh milwaukee and chicago are, are two places that that you definitely want to visit um and, and the number two they're they're very passionate sports fan bases and growing up in sports i didn't have to do sports my parents didn't force me into sports i mean i did dance and school plays and all kinds of different things, um, learned how to sew and crochet as a little kid. Like they really tried to, um, expand my, my horizons on stuff, but I just always gravitated towards sports and, um, to, to just see the, the passion of, of these fan bases. Um, I'll use an example. Uh, we'll start with Milwaukee and last year and, and just watching from an outsider's perspective, but, the passion that you see with some of the NBA final broadcasts and you, and you see the Deer District and hundreds and hundreds of Bucks fans who couldn't get into the game, just mm -hmm. congregating outside five serve forum. Uh, it was amazing. Watching Giannis do this here tonight and then having these fans be a part of it, get a chance to witness it, experience that, you know, it's, you know, just unbelievable. That is just a unbelievable. Frame. That yeah. is a bet. Okay, it's because 65,000 was the initially reported number for fans in the Deer District. Up to 72,000 it was reported at one point as well. Wow. It's just it's just crazy to see all those people come out and just support their Milwaukee Bucks. And it just shows you how much pride that this city <laughs> has in this ball club. And wow. These, these guys are I went to school at Northwestern in Chicago. And um, during the time of the Gary Barnett Rose Bowl team, oh, yeah. I, was, I was a I was a uh, uh, a sophomore, I believe, um, in college when that was happening. Um, I went to school with Pat Fitzgerald. A lot of people don't know that. So he was the linebacker at the time and I was a, a, a nobody student athlete. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I remind him of that all the time. Um, he just laughs. But um, you, you see how how the city of Chicago ignites and it doesn't have to be a pro sports story. It just has to be a good sports story. And, and I saw as a college student at the time at Northwestern, how much the city just ignited after that Northwestern football story. Most recently um, I was covering the NCAA tournament, but living in Chicago, when Loyola Chicago, the sister Jean story took you know, yeah. city and went to the final four. How did a small division one school in Chicago get to the final four? It's the accumulation of a lot of people. It's not one person. 
And again, it's it wasn't necessarily Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, but there was still a, a lot of excitement around it. And so that's what I appreciate about those two cities is, is they know what good sports is. They know what a good story is and, and they're so passionate about it. And, and I just love it. Um, it's they're, they're two wonderful cities to um, have say I can uh, I've been a part of and have, have lived in here so far. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. So you begin your career, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the name, Alpena, Michigan. It was the second smallest market in the United States. So where's Alpena, and what was that experience like? <laughs> you did well, Alpena, Michigan. Um, you know, I, I, I got out of college, and I always thought that I was just ready for the national stage, as I think a lot of college students do, right? Uh, they just they think that they're they're bigger and better than what they really are. And so... I was just really reluctant to take the job because as you mentioned, it, it was the second smallest market in the country. Um, they were only offering $14,000 for the year. I remember earlier I had said, don't look at your hours, don't look at your paycheck. <laughs> um, I couldn't look at my paycheck because it would depress me if I did. And, um, but it was, you know what, George, what it was is it was wonderful and it helped shape me and my career because of this, because I, I learned exactly that. Don't look at your paycheck, don't count your hours, just do the job. And, and that's what I did. And I covered everything from the Brown Trout Festival to junior college basketball to several of the different high schools that are up in the area. And, and you asked where, where Alpena is, it's, it's really far north. It's on the east side of the state of Michigan. And it's about, uh, gosh, uh, maybe 30, 40 minutes away from the Mackinac Bridge. So it's yeah. almost as far as you can go north. It's one of the more major cities before you hit the Mackinac Bridge to go to the Upper Peninsula. And so when I was interviewing, I hit scan on the radio dial before they had satellite radio and it went all the way through without stopping. And I was on FM where you're supposed to get <laughs> dozens, dozens <laughs> of, of stations. And, and my first scripts, and this is the year 2000, we're not talking about in the 1950s or 60s, this was the year 2000. My first scripts, when I worked in this station at Alpena, Michigan, were typed on typewriters. Um, their newsroom was still, didn't, wasn't getting the funding or the resources so they didn't have enough computers for everyone in the news department or sports department. And so I'm literally typing scripts on a, on a typewriter. And, and that's what I did. But, but you know what you do? And, and I had some of this in Lansing, Michigan, with a station I worked at there. Um, you learn how to put a camera on your shoulder and shoot highlights and, and run to maybe three, four high school football games in one Friday night. You go back to the station. You edit your own stuff. You write your own scripts. You race into the restroom or a, a training, like a you know, a changing room. You change your clothes. You try to do your hair and makeup and try to get on the air in time to do the local sports cast that night. So it, it taught you to do a little bit of everything. And now that I don't have to do everything, um, I appreciate all of those other jobs because I had to do a lot of them <laughs> way back when. So I got this from a highly respected source who you might know. Instead of you, she's persevered, and I consider her our greatest asset. Is this A, Wolf Blitzer, B, Deborah Ann Turner, the president of the League of Women Voters, or C, some guy named Dave Repson? <laughs> Seeing as though I don't know the first two, personally, <laughs> uh, I would have to go with C, George, my final answer. He's quite a guy, isn't he? 
He is. Um, I credit Dave actually to opening up the door to my opportunity at Big Ten Network. I was working in Lansing, Michigan um, at WLNS, the CBS affiliate there. And at the time, we didn't have like computer links or like digital links that we send our work on, like all like the broadcasters these days now, or, you know, here's my YouTube page. We actually had to send either VHS copies of our work um, on tape or DVDs. And I think at the time we had graduated to DVDs when I met Dave and it was, you know, 2007, I think it was the summer when Big Ten Network was just about to launch. And I introduced myself to him in, in a kind of a gathering in Chicago. And I introduced myself. I said, I went to Northwestern as well. Um, you know, I, I love any sort of opportunity at Big Ten Network. And um, I believe the story goes, Dave, eventually he remembered me, saw my DVD in a box in a hallway just outside one of the Big Ten Network's boss's offices and picked it up. And, and I think he watched it. And then he went into the, the boss's office and he put the DVD down and he said, hey, you know, I, I think she's pretty good. Can you give her a look? She literally had to try and catch up with Jim Harbaugh. Luckily, Lisa is a two-sport athlete, and Lisa Byington has the speed and the wheels to catch up <laughs> with Jim Harbaugh. That's, nice work. That's where running uh, four miles a day comes in handy. Two-sport athlete. Got to get my plug in. Right? And, and I'll always appreciate that. You know, you never forget the, the people who go to bat for you and the people who open up doors for you. And, and Dave um, was one of the first to do that for me at Big Ten Network. You know what he said? He said um, he was rejected over 100 times and that he tried to get his agent to sign you and he wouldn't. So I'm thinking that agent missed out on a lot of bucks and I don't mean Milwaukee bucks. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it is true. Uh, I, I, I don't count how many no's you get because you want to remember the yeses, uh, but the no's motivate you for sure. And there was a time and, and, and I'll say maybe I wasn't ready for some of the opportunities or, you know, maybe I didn't have the style that networks or some agents liked, um, but there were, yeah, there were some definite no's and, and I tried multiple times to get in uh, with Dave's agency. Um, uh, I will say that I now have an agent that is not part of Dave's agency <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're doing just fine now. We're doing just fine. Speaking of the Bucks, they have this very affable giant of a Greek man named Giannis Antetokounmpo, the league's MVP in 2021. What does he like to broadcast and work with? Here's Bobby Bifogles. Giannis is not messing around. Well, Bulls switch everything on that orchestrated. It's amazing because I'm projecting uh, what people are going to say about Giannis 15 years down the line, 20 years down the line. The man is only 27 years old, and already he's had an NBA career that people would dream about. So he's already accomplished all this at such a young age. Like, what more is in store to build his legacy? And I truly believe that when he's said and done, if, if he could stay healthy, knock on wood, that he truly will be up there and, and perhaps top five of the all-time greats in what he's doing. And, and I say that because he's been MVP. He's won a championship. He wants to get more, probably of each of those. Um, and he's improving his game. And, and he has a joy. You know, one of my favorite plays uh, to call this year, it was New Year's Day. They were playing the Pelicans, and Giannis got a triple-double. And the last thing he needed for the triple double was an assist as a lot of, a lot of times that happens. Right. So he got his assist. So he has his triple double. Then the next time down the court, he knocks down a three point shot from the top of the key. And he's walking back with his arms out. Like he was going to like fly an airplane or become an airplane. And he's just bobbing up and down. The crowd's going wild. It's a home game. So five serve forms going wild. And he's, he's bopping up and down and he's just kind of walking back. And uh, I think my call was, um, you know, this is his game and this is his year. And uh, it just was awesome to see him in that moment and in so many other moments about just the joy that he has playing basketball. He can be MVP. He can be world champion. Um, all of those things haven't taken away the joy that he has and the opportunities that he has to play this sport. 
Most people have awards named after them when they've been around, eh, say, 35, 40 plus years. So I wonder what it must have felt like to have the Big Ten name an award after you. We've decided to start the Lisa Byington Award named after you. And we're going to, to give it to the outstanding female student broadcaster on, on BTN, uh, Student U. I think I've talked about it uh, enough times now, George, that I won't break down. Because the first couple wow. of times um, I did an interview on it, um, I literally, and I wasn't expecting to, but I literally would break down talking about it because that's how much it meant. I didn't know it was coming. I didn't initiate any of it. It, it came from the Big Ten Conference and the Big Ten Network. And to have uh, an entity like that look at you in, in such a way that they said, we think the job that you're doing is, is so important that we're, we're gonna create this, this award, but I like to say it's an opportunity to open up the doors to other, other females in this conference that maybe I didn't even have, you know? Um, to hear words, you know, to, to make it come full circle, where you talk about words are so important, um, you know, to, to be able to mentor these young women with the right words and the right actions. And, and that's the thing that gets me choked up is the conference looking at this as an opportunity uh, to help other women grow. And, and that means a ton. I ask this final question to all my guests. If not for sports broadcasting, what would you have been? A basketball coach. Ah. <laughs> my, uh, my dad was, first of all, my dad was my high school basketball coach. And I always thought to myself, I always want to go into coaching. You know, I, I played college basketball um, in and around the sport for a while. I was covering Michigan State and Michigan, you know, in my, in my local TV job. And it was a time where um, I actually talked to both um, Susie Merchant, the women's head coach at Michigan State, who was hired that year, and Tom Izzo um, extensively about it, about coaching, about what they liked, about what they disliked. Both of them were very gracious with their time. Both of them allowed me to watch film with them or watch film with their staff just to kind of get a feel for what a college coach was like. And it, it got to a, a point where I decided, you know what? I'm gonna give this TV thing like a couple more shots to see where I can take it. And uh, I'm in my 40s now and I, I still have not gone back to college coaching. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, Susie actually wrote me a text uh, when I got you know, the NCAA tournament gig and the Milwaukee Bucks job. And, and she said, I think you made the right choice. Well, I think you made the right choice, Lisa. Continued success with the Bucks, with the Chicago Sky, in anything else you do in your career. And thank you so much, Lisa Byington, for telling me a story I don't know. It was my pleasure, truly, George. Thank you. My thanks to the NCAA Tournament, March Madness, the Milwaukee Bucks, NBA TV, the Big Ten Network, and Bally Sports Wisconsin for those terrific highlights. My thanks, as always, to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. <laughs>